Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show. I am Chris Rawl. It is a pleasure to be here today. After game one of the Stanley Cup Finals before game two, the U.S. Open is kicking off right now as I speak. An exciting time to be a sports fan. I wrote about Kil McCarr, who is the best defenseman in hockey, who looks like a young little boy, yet plays a game that is only fit for a grown man. Uh, that was the newsletter that I sent out this week on Wednesday. You can go and read that on chrisrawl.com if you haven't already. You can also go and sign up for my weekly newsletter, which is free, which is easy to consume. Comes out every Wednesday morning. There's a subscribe button in the top right-hand corner at chrisrawl.com. Go and hit that, and I will probably just continue writing about Kilmacar until time ends, because who else would I be writing about? All right, go and sign up for that. Let's get into today's show, which is all about emotion. Now, close your I can analyze sports for all of time. I do that, in fact, as all of you know, whether on a personal level, if you talk to me in my day-to-day life, or if you don't know me and you listen to the show, you know I'm nerdy as hell when it comes to sports. I analyze, I talk about the margins, I just lose my mind over and over, and I talk about these little tiny things within a game that decide it, and did you see when the ref looked cross-eyed over here and the ball bounced off the rim over here? I could talk about underlying numbers behind a performance, and I go, well, actually, yes, the passing yards were great for this quarterback, but if you look closely on third downs beyond eight yards, he really struggled in this certain scenario. I mean, I can debate legacy. I can do all this shit. I, I, I do all of this shit. I love it. And I do it all the time. Uh, that is for another show because today is a show about emotion. It is what brought me to the world of sports. It is what makes me return to the world of sports again and again and again. That's something that I couldn't fully understand in my infancy as a sports fan when I'm eight years old, 10 years old, and I'm starting to get into college football and I'm starting to get into the NFL. I'm starting to get into the NBA and NHL had nothing to do with the, the first parts, the legacies. And I, and I'm going to sit and talk about Michael Jordan's championships. And I'd like to sit here and talk where Nebraska ranks amongst the dynasties of college football. It was none of that. It was just for whatever reason, there's some sort of current of energy that connected from what I was watching inside of me. And that's a really big draw. At any age, especially early on, because once you fill it, it doesn't really go away. So now we fast forward into present day, and it kind of reminds me of the Don Draper Madman line when he's talking about nostalgia. And his line is, it's a twinge in your heart that's far more powerful than memory alone, which is a really good description for just those things that make you feel on a very deep and visceral level, right? The things that you want in your life. And again, there are many things that draw me to sports, but that's the one that's right at the top of the list, that just supercharge of energy that connects you first to an event and then through that event to everybody who is a part of it. The really uh, intoxicating blend of things. It's a thing that I've talked about before and I say, look, there are some things you can describe about sports. There's some things you can't, but that particular facet it's applicable anywhere in life. If something makes you feel like that, you go with it. That's something that I personally very firmly believe. It's how I live my day-to-day life. So sports is one of those things that kicked open that door. Said, hey, here's something that for reasons partially known, partially unknown, makes you feel very deeply. So pursue that, you know. And it's it's something I'm always going after. 
it's a, it's a feeling that I'm struck by continually because I consume sports around the clock for the last, you know, what, 28 years now, I guess. Uh, and it's happened in a variety of ways. And a lot of it centers around the teams and the athletes that I follow the most closely and love. And I've followed their entire arc and a lot of that stuff that I talk about on the show. And other moments have happened that are not that but tap into the same energy source. One of those that is the most revelatory as I was putting together the notes for today's show. And I hadn't thought about this moment in a long time because it happened 12 years ago and it was in a sport that I actually do not like, soccer. But as I was thinking of just this supercharge and the way that even a sport that you don't necessarily love can make you feel deeply because you understand all of these things I've been talking about. You've lived them, you felt them. It was the 2010 World Cup. It was United States playing against Algeria. It was the group stage. It was the final game of group stage. So you play three games, and then that's how you determine who advances to the round of 16, which is single elimination. That's how the World Cup is decided, right? Happens once every four years. USA has always been bad at soccer. It's one of those things. Okay, whatever. Again, I, I did not and do not like soccer as a sport. I don't find it very fun. I don't actually think it's a cool sport. Now, group of people, you know, half of them really liked soccer and I can get into any sporting event. That's just, I think it's because of the emotional undercurrent that I know always exists. And to be a fan by proxy, you can tap into a lot of these similar things, similar uh, emotions and feelings where you go, I don't even care about this thing, but because I'm watching with people who care deeply and I understand this in, in different facets of life, I can actually get a pretty big rush out of this thing. So this game's going on. And United States, they have to win in order to advance to the round of 16. United States, again, I cannot stress this enough, not a good soccer team. Like making the round of 16, it's a great accomplishment in its own right. It's just a slog of a soccer game. It's 0-0, zero, zero, it's 0-0, zero, zero, it's 0-0, zero, zero. it's into the second half, it's 0-0, zero, zero, it's 0-0. Zero, zero. And it was just this feeling of inevitability that, okay, it's going to be a 0-0 zero, zero soccer game. I'm going to be way pissed because I spent... 95 minutes watching it. All of my friends are going to be very sad. I'm going to be sad by proxy. And instead, in the 91st minute of that game, we're into stoppage time. Um, United States, they make a save in their own zone. Tim Howard, who's the goaltender, he rolls it out there. And they start this, like, rush the other way, which you never really even get a rush in soccer. It's not part of the sport, like this end-to-end rush like you would see in hockey. But instead, this somehow starts this storybook rush up the field and they're running and Landon Donovan, who's the best player on the United States, he ends up in the 91st minute scoring this goal that sends the United States to the round of 16. It's a, <laughs> in the moment, it was an incredible moment. And again, I say this as a person who does not value or enjoy this sport. And I was freaking out and I'm slapping high fives and everybody's howling and chest bumping and pounding. It's just one of those moments, you know, that you go, ah, this is why I do this. This is why I get, this is why I set aside time to go and watch a sport that I don't care about with people who are invested. This is why I watch football and basketball and hockey and all these things because you chase after things like that. The announcers are freaking out. Oh, this is incredible. You know, they're, I went back and rewatched the highlight this morning just to kind of refresh my memory and you're getting, you could not write a script like this. One of the great announcer calls of all time that I'd actually forgotten about. And I indeed kind of thought, yeah, that's true. It was like Disney movie-esque. You know, this goal that was needed, 0-0, rushing up the field, gets in stoppage time. So 
emotional supercharge, right? Now, what kind of like opened this moment even more and just kind of, I, I think, hammered home. I'll go back to that word revelatory. As far as tapping into emotion in sports and why it's just intoxicating and, and really something that you don't experience in a lot of ways in life. There's this video on YouTube that I watched. I don't know. It was probably a couple weeks after that. And I would actually tell people to go and watch it because even in present day, it's even if you weren't a part of that goal, much less if you were, it's really, really incredible to watch. It, the actual title, it's on YouTube. It's the world's reaction to Landon Donovan's game-winning goal. It's got like five and a half million views. And some of the, you know, the, the words and stuff, it's a little cheesy. Okay, whatever. Who cares? What you need to watch it for because it's five, five plus minutes. And just clips together random bars and get-togethers and just all of the different ways that people were watching this game. United States against Algeria. Spread across, uh, not just the United States, but across the globe. People who were rooting for America and it clips together all of these first it's everybody's watching Russia going, Oh no. And then it's cutting somewhere else to Missouri. And then it's cutting to Nebraska. And then it's cutting to France and it's cutting to here and there and there. And it's going, Oh, oh, oh." and as I watched it the first time, as I watched it again, right before I recorded the show, like I got literal goosebumps. I started just feeling that, Oh my God, this is, this is the thing that you chase after. It just is. And then you're seeing just the complete explosion in all of these places as at first there's an initial save and everybody goes, ah, oh, and then Donovan's coming, screaming in, he boots it in. Then it's just, it's a detonation, bam, bam, bam across everywhere. So I'm remembering it and I go, I remember that feeling. And then I'm watching all these other people and it's just, it gives you that feeling of vastness. That is a really cool aspect of following sports, of being a part of it. That through a particular emotion, you can be connected to that many people. Really, really unique thing to have in your life. So I'm always chasing this, this particular thing. Just that outpouring of emotion that is like a dam bursting, just detonation, right? It's what I'm always chasing when I watch sports. You don't always get it. I watch a lot of bad. Thursday night NFL games that are going to be on Amazon Prime. Those are more for gambling purposes, for nerdy ass purposes. It's not because I'm sitting there feeling this particular thing. That's a more exclusive corner of the world in sports, but it's something that I'm always going after, always going after. Now, I can tap into that within a sport. Um, soccer is not that, you know, I don't sit and I actually barely, I, I don't watch soccer in present day. <laughs> If you put me in another situation like that, I would do it because I know that by proxy, I can find something that could be really cool and meaningful. But how I usually chase after is in the sports that I've identified. These are, these are the best. These are the best sports. You know, right at the top of that list is hockey, which has an incredible undercurrent of emotional energy because you're not going to find a sport that has this style of pace, just that end-to-end freight train style, just chance here, chance there hit there, hit here, fight here, goaltender save here. And it's just ping pong. You're back and forth. Your head can't track it. Your heart feels like it's just going in and out. I mean, it's, it's, it's cocaine as an event is probably the best way of putting it. It's action, 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 action until your heart explodes. That's the best way of 
describing the sport of hockey. It's violence and beauty. It's those two things mixed together, just high speed, high skill. But then this component of if you don't do the correct things, somebody is going to try and obliterate you. It's all of the things that I love in sports. It's also very unique in the amount of emotion that can be condensed in a short amount of time because of that particular facet, how you can be on one end of the rink and two seconds later at the other end, and then you're back the other way, and then you're back the other way, and you don't know who's going to score and when they're going to score, and it's just, ah, oh, ah, oh. So that's a big draw to the sport of hockey. Now, you kind of get layers to the way that you can tap into a really deep emotional connection within life. So it starts with hockey, and I find that early on, and then it's moved up a level when you tap into that emotional energy of hockey when your team is involved, when you have a team and you start to identify on that fan level, which is is another source of emotion entirely. It's not just watching a random United States-Algeria soccer event where I have no connection to either team. It's, ooh, no, 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 this is my team. You know, that starts in 1996 for me when Colorado moves to or when the avalanche move from Quebec, the Rodiques at the time, to Denver, Colorado, become the local team for a kid living in Utah. That's the team that's shown on Fox Sports Rocky Mountain. That's the team I start watching. That's the team I start playing with on the Sega Saturn of my friend at the time. And, I, and I'm learning about hockey through this game and playing with Peter Forsberg. And I go, this is amazing. And, and slowly but surely, over the course of that regular season, I'm going, all right. This, this sport's already cool because now I understand it and I'm starting to get like this cocaine as an event draw, why, why it's so cool. Now I got a team and yeah, okay, I'm watching every game and now I'm starting to understand, oh, you know, this Valery Kamensky out of Russia, he's an interesting winger and oh, Joe Sackett, oh, now we're talking and wait, we just traded for Patrick Wall from Montreal, who's this crazy goaltender that's way good and just freaking out every game. Adam Foote, this guy's got, why is his nose pointed in eight different directions? Oh, it's been broken 30 times. Who's this Claude Lemieux, this guy who's just doing dirty shit all the time? Slowly but surely, you start to build upon the initial investment in the sport of hockey. You get the team. You're going with it. Now, what was the next step is that very season, by the time you get to the end of it. And I'm 10 years old, you know, and I can't verbalize these things, but I'm feeling them because it gets to the playoffs. And the next step up is the emotional energy of playoff hockey, especially when your team is involved. That's a whole nother realm. And I know that those of you who are deeply intertwined with the sport of hockey understand what I'm talking about in these layers. And other people might be hearing it and go, oh, okay, this is intriguing. My guess is if you listen to the show, you have something like this in some sport or with some athlete. And everything comes with layers. And the entry point is already very rich and rewarding. Start liking hockey. And the further you go, the deeper it becomes, the more meaningful it feels. And just the more that the claws sink into you and go, this is something I want to have be a part of my life. So the Avs, they make the playoffs in 96. And suddenly I'm watching just a sport that I already thought was the fastest and most physical and most violent. And now it's somehow faster and more physical and more violent. Because it's the playoffs and everybody's selling out for everything and you're giving no ground. And it culminates in the Western Conference Finals. That's the series that if I had to point to something where I go, I already loved hockey and I like and I love this team. But this is the moment where I just go, all right, 
I think this is the best thing. I think this is the best thing you can be a part of. Avalanche Red Wings, it's the spawn of the nastiest rivalry in modern hockey. One that actually has an E60 coming out about that is going to be incredible. But from 96 to 2002, this was, this was the nastiest rivalry in sports. Starts in that Western Conference Finals. The Wings were the favorites. They were the best regular season team in hockey. They were awesome. The Avalanche were kind of the up-and-coming team. Claude Lemieux, he has an incredibly dirty hit, just pins Chris Draper against the boards, fractures entire face, gets suspended. Avs beat the Wings in six, go on to win the Stanley Cup final against Florida in four games. And it was just, it was everything that playoff hockey with your team involved that I now know it to be. At the time it was four and I'm going, hold, this is, what is this? So for those, you know, a lot of years up through 2005-ish, the Avs are always in the playoffs. The Avs are, they're vying for Stanley Cups. They win two of them. They're making Western Conference Finals. They lose in Game 7 to three different Western Conference Finals during that time span from 96 to 2002. And then they go away for a long time because the Avalanche are not very good. And I'm reminded of this in 2018 when they make the playoffs. The year prior, they were the worst team in hockey. They get things together. Jared Bednar, great coaching job. Abs squeak in. Last day of the regular season, they make the playoffs against the Predators. I haven't watched them in the playoffs since 2014 because they hadn't been there. And I just had kind of forgotten just, uh, you know, playoff hockey is so awesome. But when your team is involved, it's just, it's another feeling entirely. So they get, you know, they get beaten six reasonably competitive games for who the Avalanche were at the time and who the Predators were. Predators, best team in the Western Conference, number one seed. Avalanche just, all right, you're lucky to be here, but you still won two games. This is really cool. Now, the following year, it's another reminder of the next layer, which is the emotional energy of playoff overtime hockey, especially when your team is involved. And we're now four layers deep. Think about Inception. We're deep, deep, deep into the dream. We're 20 layers down there. But the following year, the Avs, they're a better team. They're still heavy underdogs. They make the playoffs. They're playing against Calgary. Game one, the Avalanche play great. They get goaltendered. They lose the game. I'm kind of pissed about it. I go, man, that was our chance to steal one. Could have had home ice going back to Denver. Game two, it, it looks like Colorado is going to lose just this tight game that Colorado was not really equipped to play at the time. They squeak it into overtime. So now I'm going, okay, you just, you just need one thing. And I'm watching this in my house at the time. It's just me by myself. I'm not watching with anybody. On my laptop, it's late on a Saturday night. And intermission between the end of the third period and the start of overtime, it's the longest time you can ever spend doing anything in life. You just sit there and you think for 20 minutes about how are all the ways this can go wrong. And uh, this is not going to be fun unless they win. And then it will immediately become the funnest thing that I've ever been a part of. But, oh, I don't want to think about what happens if they lose. You just do that for 20 minutes. So overtime starts. And I'm sitting, you know, and I kind of got to be quiet because people are sleeping and I'm doing. Oh, 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 oh. And McKinnon catches the puck in full flight and through the neutral zone. It looks at first like a nothing play. But if you watch McKinnon, you know him with speed through the neutral zone is never a nothing play. The next thing you know, he's like, <laughs> it's just it's such an incredible goal. <laughs> and one that I, I've come to really look back on fondly is like all of these McKinnon goals piles up and, and we kind of forget just random blips along the way. That game two overtime winner against Calgary. It, it was just one of those moments where like I, I didn't need it, but you have a full reminder of oh, when your team wins in overtime in the playoffs, there is almost nothing better 
you can feel. And I apply that outside of sports. People will call me crazy for that, but I'm saying as the damn bursting, as that emotional just boo, there are very few things in life that can equal that for me. And I think a lot of people feel similarly for the sports or the teams that they care about. Again, a great draw for sports, okay? That's continued into this year as the Avs have become a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. And even through this playoff run so far through one game of the Stanley Cup Finals, every time they get into overtime, it's that same waiting process of, I don't, what, uh, I don't know how to formulate my feelings right now because they're bouncing all over and it's either going to be the best feeling on planet Earth like it was in game two against Nashville this year when McCarr scores or game one against St. Louis when Josh Manson scores or especially game four when Arturi Lekkonen scores to send them to the cup finals for the first time in 21 years. It's either going to be the best or it's going to be the worst. Like when Tyler Bozak scores in game five of the St. Louis series and I just flip off the TVs and leave and I go, I'm not thinking about hockey until the opening face off of next game because I don't want to. It's just it's when it's bad, it, there's nothing worse when it's good. You can't beat it. It's the best way of describing that current that you can ride, that hockey provides, that having a team within hockey provides, that playoff hockey provides with your team, that playoff overtime hockey with your team provides. So that brings us to Wednesday night, which there's still one, actually there's still two levels to go technically, because the first, the one that I had forgotten is there's a different supercharge when your team is in the Stanley Cup finals. I'd forgotten because I hadn't experienced it in 21 years, <laughs> which is understandable. And then we're getting close to the faceoff for game one. And I'm just, I'm feeling that nervousness, but I'm also just so excited because even if Colorado is not going to win, I go, I've waited for literally over two decades for this. This is really cool. And I love this team and they're incredibly fun to watch. And maybe things don't work out, but to have them here in this moment is something that not going to take for granted because maybe I had in my younger days and now I realize it's really hard to do this. And you invest a lot of emotional energy into following a team and sometimes that really doesn't pay off for a long time or forever, okay? <laughs> so I'm fired up about that going into game one. And what I kind of forgot from that opening face-off, I literally had kind of just, I guess you can call it deja vu, you can call it just going into the past. You can use the Don Draper thing. It's that twinge in the heart. Far more powerful than memory loan. That's probably the best way of putting it, actually. And I remember the opening period of 2001 Stanley Cup Finals, Game 1. Colorado's going in. They're underdogs against New Jersey. New Jersey, defending Stanley Cup champions. One of the best teams of that era. Just, they want to muck it up in the neutral zone, defend the hell out of it, make Martin Bruder make some saves, win every game 2-1. to one. Abs are down Peter Forsberg. People are going, ah, okay, they're going to have to make up for this. This is their best forward who's out. What's going to happen here? And that first period was just, it was all of the electric emotion that you are looking for. The abs come out flying. Joe Sackick, the captain, he's not known for being a power player. He's more finesse, a Hall of Fame player, but not a dude who's running around just clobbering people, right? And the captain for the Devils at the time is named Scott Stevens, just the Grim Reaper of all Grim Reapers, a dude who, his open ice hitting was legendary. He's one of the nastiest hockey players I've ever watched. You can go and watch YouTube clips on Scott Stevens that will make your blood turn cold because most of those hits in present day would be illegal. He was just a dude who said, if you come anywhere, I will try and end your career. First period of that game one, remember Sackett goes in behind the net. Stevens is there trying to ward him off and Sackett comes in full bore and just runs right through him. 
The place is going crazy and I'm going crazy. I'm just going, all right, this is our series. Just one random hit. It's a scoreless game, but I'm just, I'm convinced like, all right, this, all right. I can ride that hit for seven games, which is what ends up happening. The back and forth series, but Colorado ends up prevailing in game seven. And that's one of the moments that I go back to that Steven Sackick play, which in the grand scheme of things will be completely lost, but it was just that supercharge where I go, this is so cool to have my team be a part of this and to watch this sport where everybody's always selling out, even in the regular season, but now they're in the playoffs and now they're in the Stanley Cup finals. And it's just whatever I need to do, I'll do. If it's Joe Sack and I need to go and clobber the scariest person on the ice, I will go and do that because I'm the captain and I'm here to win. So that segues nicely into game one against Tampa on Wednesday. So I'm feeling that, you know, just like, oh, this is, this is so good to be back. And I forgot that there's a another level you can move to. Just the feeling inside where you're just like, I'm so excited and happy and nervous and tense. And none of these really make sense as a cocktail, but somehow because you've lived them a lot, you understand, but you can't really process it. So you just ride the wave, right? And so it's the abs are going up. I mean, the first period, yes, great. Abs are up 3-1. And then Tampa comes storming back. Two goals within a minute in the second period. Now we're going to the third period. And the third period just feels like overtime the whole time because it's the Stanley Cup Finals and it's game one and every game's important and you can't afford to lose anything. So I'm tensed up the whole time. And every chance, every time Tampa crosses center ice with the puck, I'm just cringing. And every time the avalanche are going the other way, it's cross center ice. I'm going, just score. You got to score. It's all the crazy emotion of sports distilled into just these individual moments again, 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 again. So now we're getting to the end of the third period and the apps have a power play and they can't score. And then they're giving up a break the other way. And now I'm going, are they going to give up? Uh, now we're going to overtime. <laughs> Which is another level beyond. <laughs> which very, very few times in your life will you be watching your team play in the Stanley Cup Finals in overtime. It's sudden death. It's all of the emotional roller coaster stuff I've talked about. It's all of the cocaine as an event. Times 500. Because everything seems like the end of the world. Anytime your team has the puck, you're just going, just get on the net, just do anything. Anytime the opposition has the puck, you're just trying to watch through your hands over your eyes and going, your heart's beating a thousand miles a minute. It's all of the stuff that I crave in sports. So the Avs force a turnover. Center ice, JT Compers coming in. His shot gets blocked, bounces to Valeria Chushkin, who was the best forward for Colorado in the game. And he slips a great pass to Burakovsky with a net there waiting for him, rips it home. So I'm losing my mind. It's just, it's the best. It's the best feeling. It is the best feeling in all of sports. I say this as a person who, if you force me, my favorite sport is football. But on an emotional level, you can't trump what hockey provides. And the moment that an overtime game winner goes in, in the playoffs, in the Stanley Cup finals, you literally cannot beat that supercharge of emotional energy. You just can't. So now I'm like just lapping up everything after the game because I'm so excited. Okay, the Avs have a 1-0 lead going to be a long series. I, I still feel that way. I'm, there are reasons Tampa could win. There are reasons Colorado could win. I liked a lot of stuff Colorado did in game one, but the analyzation stuff, it, it was less about that for me after the game in the immediate aftermath. It was more just ride this wave. And I kind of found myself going down a rabbit hole that night and into the next morning, just looking at various things and going, 
uh, it's crazy how connected I am on an emotional level to a lot of these people that are just, I, I know none of them. I know nothing about their backstories and just, I see reaction shots, much like the land of Donvigal. I see reaction shots when I go, but I know that. And if I was ever in a room with that person, I promise you we could talk for three straight hours about this particular connection. Joe Sackick, who's now the GM for the Avalanche, who is just, he's the most stoic guy you'll ever see. Iceman in his veins. Never really did anything big celebration-wise ever for anything. He was just, he was calm. He was collected. He went about his business. That's what made Joe Sackick such a badass. As a hockey player, that's also what makes him as badass as a general manager. I think he's just, he's the Iceman in all negotiations. That's the way that he's helped build up this roster. Just, no, no, we're not going to do that. But we will do this, and you will do this. Jedi mind tricks kind of stuff. That's the Joe Sackick brand. And even him in the box. There's an NHL gift that I retweeted after the game of him watching it with Avalanche upper management. And the second that pucks into the net, even Joe Sackick, he's jumping up. He's got a fist pump. He's giving the hugs. And I'm going, if you can bring that out in Joe Sackick, you are like a once-in-a-lifetime emotional event. I really do believe that. I don't think Joe Sackick's ever done that in his entire life. So I'm doing that, but I do that a lot in... This was just even a higher level of that. Joe Sackick's doing it. Now, the one that stood out the most to me, the one that like, as I was watching it, I've, I've honestly watched it probably eight times since. And I get goosebumps every time. And I just get that feeling of, of emotional energy rushing up inside me. And I'm going, oh, this is getting, this makes me feel something every single time I watch it. It's also something that I retweeted out. You can go and check it out on my Twitter feed at Chris Rall if you want to actually watch these things. And it was a camera shot from the NHL. They had a camera station probably like, seemed like halfway up the lower bowl, directly behind Tampa Bay's net. An actual handheld camera. Somebody was in the aisle with the camera. And it's a minute long camera shot. And by all accounts, Ball Arena, I mean, it looked electric. Everybody who was in it was just like, this is, I mean, this is the atmosphere you crave. This is what everybody wants. There's 20,000 people who all are exhibiting and feeling all of the stuff I've talked about throughout this show. So they're there in the building and there's this camera shot, minute long. And it's the first, I don't know, maybe 10-ish seconds or so, maybe a little bit less. It starts with the turnover that Comfort forces at center ice as he's skating in. So now we have the five-second sequence that results in the Burakovsky goal. And you have the audio that's going from everybody. And you're hearing, oh, oh, shoot it, oh. Just all the things that I'm shouting at home all the time. <laughs> and then you see from the angle, the net opens up and Burakovsky rips it home. And it's just detonation. Everybody just freaking out. It's the Landon Donovan thing, right? Just screaming. And so what is so cool about this particular thing, and I like, I love this kind of film work in sports. It's a little bit more cinematic. It's not just, here's the eight second clip that ends two seconds after Burakovsky scores as he's fist pumping and sliding down the ice and going to meet the avalanche bench. It's 50 seconds of just slowly walking this camera down as people lose their shit everywhere and you're seeing the high fives and the screaming and ah yeah yeah and it's more just about the atmosphere first and foremost of what's going on there because they're, it's not zoomed in on the avalanche on the ice of their celebrations it's just kind of this general ambiance of what is going on in this place at this particular time so it's first and foremost that and then it's just it's kind of a window into this emotionality of like yeah i'm i'm feeling that at home i'm sure people in the building are feeling that even more so because to be there, it's the, it's another little step up. So all the stuff, I mean, it's just, I keep going back to the question of just like, how, 
on an emotional scale, how does it get any better than this? Just how? I don't know. I don't actually know. So this is this is the thread of being a sports fan that interests me the most. And again, there are a million things that bring me into this realm. A lot of them do not have anything to do with emotion, but this is the one that I continually return to. And I go, if you had to make me gun to my head, pick, what is it that draws you? You know, why do you watch this puck on a rink of ice and people are skating around? I'm just like, well, go back and listen to the last 30 minutes of the show. This is why. Now, as I look to expand this show out a little bit, one of the things that I am in search of is that particular connection and people who are willing to share that particular connection, that emotionality of sports, right? And I'm sure that many of you have listened to this and feel what I'm saying through your own fandom, through your own prism. Might not be hockey, might not be a team, might be an athlete, it might be your own personal experience within a sport playing. I don't know. But I'm sure that the vast majority of you, if not all of you, because you listen to this show, have some similar thread where you get to the end of it and you go, how does it get any better than this? You know, how many things make me feel this way, this intensely? Now, why I'm, I'm ending the show with this is because, again, as I look to expand this out, I want to talk with other people about this. It's not going to replace the show that I'm currently doing, but I want to accentuate it on that emotional level because I think there is a void there within the world of sports that a lot of it is analyzation, hot takey, all the stuff that I don't necessarily like as much. And there's not a lot of what draws you into this. So I want to interview anyone who is willing to talk about this stuff because I think there is a lot of really cool and meaningful conversations around emotion and around sports that don't necessarily exist. And on this show, I, I really would like to change that because I think there is a very interesting path that those interviews could take if, you know, people are willing to do that. So if you are, if you know somebody who is, if you are comfortable talking into a microphone and, you know, you're willing to come on and have a similar conversation to what I just expressed about my own personal life uh, and tie it into things that you think and feel and the ways that you are connected on an emotional level to a sport, a team, a player, reach out to me. I, I truly want that. I've had some people already reaching out and I want more as we start to kind of nail down interviews and times and get this ball rolling. Just send me a tweet. You can find me at Chris Rawl. You can DM me. You can email me. Chris at CEO.com. That's C-H-R-I-S. The correct way to spell it. Uh, but reach out and we can kind of go from there. So that's it for today's show. Um, these Stanley Cup finals are going to be I think they're going to be an incredible cup finals. I hope they end well for me. Um, if not, I'm sure the hockey will be incredible for anybody who is not invested in either one of these teams. Uh, game two, Saturday night, US Open a full swing, but really game two, Saturday night. Let's just, let's buckle up. Let's prepare to do it again. And I will be back on Tuesday to talk more about all of this. Thank you for listening to the Chris Rawl Show. What an incredible honor to have you here. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. Do not forget to sign up for my newsletter. Go to chrisrawl.com, hit subscribe. I'll send you stuff about Kel McCarr. I'll send you stuff about NBA players flopping. Those are probably the two things that I'm most passionate about right now. 
Uh, and actually, we're not that far away from football season. So at that point, I'll probably start talking about running back value or a bunch of other nerdy ass stuff. But go and sign up for that. It's free. It'll come out every Wednesday morning. Please. Thank you. Peace. We'll talk on Tuesday.